This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Charlie Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, we elected a brand new mayor this week. That means the Hancock era is over and the Mike Johnston era is about to begin. So how are all those big campaign promises going to turn out? We got the master of political narratives in to help us set expectations for Mayor-elect Johnston and break down all the other local stories that mattered this week. Today is Friday, June 9th. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city with a brand new apex predator to fear. Cows. Oh, jeez. Did you see that story this week? Yeah, it's about the cow. A cow attacked somebody? Yeah, 15 to 20 cows attacked somebody just outside of Superior this week, Bree. Why? I don't know. I think it was because it was like a a calf calf season. Oh, it was like babies around? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Good for the cows. Good for the cows. (laughs) Sure. They're protecting their babies. I would kill somebody if they tried to hurt my baby. <laughs> Something you have in common with the cows. That's nice. Thank you. Um, so Bree's here. You've heard her voice. Uh, it's Friday. We're here at the lovely offices of 5280 Magazine downtown. And we have a fantastic guest today. Maybe you know him from his Academy Award nomination for one of my favorite movies of the past few years, Don't Look Up. Maybe you know him from his years on talk radio here in Denver. Maybe you know him as Bernie Sanders' former speechwriter. Or perhaps uh, the news site he founded, The Lever, which did some explosive reporting around the Ohio train derailment, which I don't know. I mean, we probably won't get into it, but just blew my mind. Um, David Sirota, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, David, what's your relationship with cows like? Uh, I once met a set of cows up in Montana when I was working on a uh, Senate race. And when the candidate who was running for Senate introduced me to his cows, and I got to know his cows. That was when I decided to become a vegetarian. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? Yes. What, what, what was it? What was it? Tell me about the was moment. It that they had names? Just they were, you know, like you, they, for, you think of them as just cows and then you actually see them as animals. And I was like, you know what? I don't feel like eating them anymore. Hmm. That's a great reason. Yeah. Hmm. Well, David, you were on the show before. Like I mentioned, I have to ask before we get into the, the news of the week here. We went to Zadie's with you and talked about yes. Jewish delis in southeast Denver. There's a new deli in town people are talking about. I have not had a chance yet to try it, but I only okay. am hearing good things. Call okay. your mother. Call your mother yes. deli. Yes. DC based, right? That's what I've heard as well. I'm assuming both of you lived in DC. Am I, I making that assumption? I, I lived about in DC for a little okay. bit. Yeah. Yes. I was there before Politics. this new chain started up though. Yes. I, I didn't know it from that. Okay. Yeah. I'm well, curious I mean, if they've tweaked the water. Like Rosenberg's tweaks the water. To make the bagels because that's the argument, right, for the New York bagel is better because the water yeah, exactly. that they use. Exactly. Okay. I that's a good question. I, I, and I should say Anything that can increase competition in the bagel economy in Denver is good. I am for that. <laughs> Me too. Me too. We um, gotta go try it. I, I agree. I agree. We should do a bagel battle. Um, maybe coming soon to the show. But we should get into the news of the week. Uh, the top story this week, of course, was the election. Denver voters elected our first new mayor in 12 years, Mike Johnston. Mayor elect Mike Johnston. Mm-hmm. Still feels a little weird to say, but we got to get used to it. He's going to be inaugurated on July 17th. It's his city to run. No take backs. Uh, But all that means that the Hancock era is over after 12 years and the Johnston era is about to begin. David, this is why we wanted to talk to you. This is your wheelhouse. This is political narratives. And now it's kind of becoming real. Like, what is he really going to do? So I want to start with you and that big question. What do you think we can expect from mayor-elect Mike Johnston? I mean, look, I think he campaigned as a as a Democrat in a Democratic city, and he ultimately got into a runoff with a 
person who uh, was more Republican leaning and could arguably be have been called a Republican. I mean, somebody who ran the Chamber of Commerce. She got endorsed by the Denver Republican Party. And so I think that him running as a Democrat plus a huge, huge, huge amount of money was the deciding factor in this election. And I think it's, I mean, there's an argument that what we saw is new money versus old money. New money, meaning outside money that came into this city, you know, from Reed Hoffman, you know, California billionaires behind Mike Johnston. And you might ask, well, why are they? That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Why are they so interested in Denver's election? It's a great question. And I don't think I have a specifically straightforward answer other than to say that that donors like that tend to see politicians like stocks, like they're betting on a stock. Like when Kelly Bruff had said that Mike Johnston, she implied that this was just a a way station for him, that he's going to want to run for Senate, for governor, for president, whatever. I actually think that's part of why a lot of these donors uh, played in this race. They see a quote unquote rising star. Now, the question is, do they want anything? Right. Because when I said that there's new money and old money, new money is sort of floating out there in, in, you know, I mean, does Reed Hoffman even know where Denver is? I'm not even sure he knows where Denver is. Reed Hoffman being one of the billionaires who funded Mike Johnson's campaign. Uh, Kelly Bruff ran with a a more traditional uh, donor base, basically transactional donors, donors who were here, developers, et cetera, et cetera. Pete Coors. Yeah, exactly. Realtors Association. Do business here who want business with and from the city. Um, So the new money won. So then, of course, the question is, well, what does that money want? And I don't think there's an easy answer. And the really interesting thing is going to be, and kind of kind of scary thing is, is that in not knowing, it's going to be hard to tell. It's going to be hard to see what they're asking him for. Huh. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we did ask Mike Johnston when he was on the show about this, and he says that these billionaire supporters of his were just aligned with his progressive values. And, you know, we do know that Reed Hoffman, the LinkedIn co-founder, is just as interested in the education reform movement as Johnston was, and that's where they met. And so that's kind of the next question is like the progressive values, you know, is that going to be real? How are, how are we going to see that in the city? What, what does Mike believe in? What is he actually going to do? Bree? what do you think we can expect? I mean, the big thing that he talked about was housing and homelessness, um, which is arguably the the issue of the last decade here in Denver. Um, the thing that he was talking about was sort of this decentralizing what we've always done or what we've done for the last couple of decades, which is shelter, the shelter model, the shelter system, which advocates and unhoused folks will tell you does not work. And it seems like that's what Mike is talking about is I don't want to do that anymore. I don't think he's going to eliminate the shelters, but he's talking more the the micro communities, which we're already seeing as safe outdoor spaces. So that to me was just the biggest thing I took away was he was talking about something people cared about and he seemed to have what felt like a good solution. Hmm. Yeah, that's the one thing. He said he's going to do these micro communities, 20 micro communities for people experiencing homelessness across the state. And when he talked to Colorado Public Radio after his big win, he said they were like, what are, what are your what are you going to do first? What is the first 100 days of the Johnson administration look like? And he said, I'm going to start looking for these sites probably even before inauguration. And he's also going to focus on getting, quote, I'm quoting now from his interview, getting more officers on the street and first responders on the street to make sure the city feels safe in all of our neighborhoods. Now, that was kind of surprising to me that he was leading with police like that. David, how about you? Was that a surprise? It, it, it's not a surprise. I mean, I think people, I think that this idea that people don't feel safe is something that you've seen a lot of politicians across the country trying to... Uh, look like they are speaking to. Uh, I do think that it's good that he's talking about uh, more social workers, uh, a more holistic approach to crime. I think that's that's encouraging as opposed to sort of the old tough on crime mantra. Um, I think when it comes to homelessness and housing in general, I think the question that I have for somebody like Mike Johnson is ultimately um, there isn't necessarily a third way And by that, I mean, there isn't necessarily solutions uh, that never take on powerful interests, right? Politicians who are backed by billionaires are always looking for ways to solve problems without actually taking on the billionaire class. So as it relates to something like homelessness or affordable housing, are you going to be willing to take on the real estate industry, the developers who may not want to give up 
X or Y piece of property, or who may not want specific uh, mandates for affordable housing, or who may not want these mini communities near their their expensive buildings in their neighborhoods. Are you willing to actually take them on? And here's the thing, and I'm not making a one-to-one direct uh, relationship comparison here, but billionaires tend to have their money in a lot of different things, and especially in real estate. So I would start asking, well, do any of the people who bankrolled Mike Johnston's campaign, do they have any interests here at, at, you know, whether in private equity firms or in giant real estate firms that Mike Johnston won't necessarily want to take on? I mean, that's going to take a lot of reporting to see if those connections exist. And I'm not saying, I, I don't know if they do, but, but I think ideologically, the question that I always have for candidates like that is, your solutions sound nice and good now. But ultimately, you're going to hit a moment where you're going to have to take on the wealthy billionaire class that is sort of generally behind you. And when that moment comes, what are you going to do? This is making me think about who endorsed Mike Johnston, right? Uh, The union groups. That was a really big one. I saw a lot of very progressive politicians coming out in support. Uh, My friend, Senator Julie Gonzalez, who is Mm -hmm. on the ground working with folks every day was like, I am casting my vote for Mike Johnson, but this is making me think you're right. When it comes down to that, where are those things going to play out? Is he going to push up against these folks or is he going to ask them? Because you're right, money, the change in Denver, it's real estate, real estate changing hands, real estate, it's everything in Denver. And is he going to challenge that? Because that's been the biggest criticism of Hancock is he's like in the developer's pocket. Is and Johnson going to be different? And I, look, I think it was it, it was easy for progressive lawmakers like Julie and others to endorse Johnston when in a runoff where where he's up against Kelly Brock. Fair, right? Totally so like, fair. It's like, and and let's talk a little bit about oil and gas. I mean, one thing that I'm most encouraged by that Mike John in, in the difference between those two candidates was Mike Johnston has said that he supports. Uh, limiting or even banning uh, natural gas infrastructure in new construction. Kelly Bruff has been an ally of the oil and gas industry for a long time, uh, most certainly did not sign on to that kind of idea. And I can't remember if he said, if he said limited, or, or, but, but the point is, is that either to limit or to ban, and that's been talked about in uh, states and cities sure. all across Home the country. Home electrification has been a huge, huge trend huge this year. Thing. That's a huge difference between those candidates. But I will say this, to go back to the theme we were just talking about, that's going to require you to take on the oil and gas industry, which remains incredibly politically powerful in Colorado, in the capital. In, it's an incredibly politically powerful industry here in Denver. Like when, when push comes to shove and the bill comes down to actually do this in the city council, the devil is always in the details. You turn a shall to a may, you turn a a word here, a word there, and something that sounds like you're fulfilling a campaign promise ultimately ends up being a press release. So that's what everyone should be watching. But again, I'm encouraged that that he took that stand. The question now is, will he maintain that stand? That's where that the account—that's the accountability piece. Yeah, that, I mean that is so fascinating. I'm just thinking about um, how legal weed rolled out and this real estate question. You know, where do we see the dispensaries in the places in where vested interests mm-hmm. are not so vested? Mm-hmm. And that—I I don't know—that's shaped our city the way that happened. And I—I I, yeah, I wonder. I wonder what the next phase of that's going to look like. But let's talk about the narrative. You know, that—that's kind of the big thing in our our coverage of this election, Bree. You talked to Mike Johnston twice, like. And we've talked so much about the Hancock era being like, oh, developers, boo. You know, he's in the pocket of developers. And then there's this question of like the, the community groups that rose up in opposition to Hancock. I feel like that really was the narrative of like growth and like natives versus transplants. But we're in a different place now. Like growth is slowing down. We need a new narrative. What is that going to be? What is the Johnston era's narrative of Denver? Bree, do you want to take that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think it's still a lot of the same. I think that the, in the developer's pocket criticism of Hancock, which I have said many times myself, I I wonder if that will be similar just because how do we get housing built? <laughs> That's the other complicated part, right? Social housing absolutely is an option. Community land trust is an option. What is that actually going to look like in practice? I don't know. I, that's what actually I'm waiting for, Paul, to be honest with you, is to see what 
uh, Johnston's vision for Denver is because he's done campaigning. Now he's got to do the shaping. He's got to do like you're saying, he's got to sign things. And is he going to may, shall or will? You know, I think it'll be interesting to see what he actually doubles down on. And I think I, I think a lot of cities are thinking about right now, how do we not become San Francisco? Right. Right. Like San Francisco, by the way, uh, has been a great city, but clearly has problems. And it's not unique to San Francisco, but it's become sort of this cartoon idea of unbelievable wealth inequality, uh, you know, a, a, a Obliteration of culture, Obliter- frankly. Absolutely. Obliteration of culture. There's homelessness. Uh, there there have been, uh, now whether you believe the stats or not, they've, it's for different political narratives, you know, crime, is crime being enforced? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it not being? I mean, that roiled by crime debates. And I think that Denver, um, you can sense that there's that there's been some effort to try to cast it as that. Uh, probably because it's got liberal politics, and it's, it's sort of easy to just say, "Oh well." Yeah, it's, I was going to say rural politicians. Yeah, yeah, like right. It's like Colorado, San, San Francisco. But but I think if you're looking like long term for Denver, we have both uh, real opportunities and huge challenges in this way. The real opportunities are is that geographically we are actually decently positioned in the climate crisis as compared to places like Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Phoenix. Our supply of water, if you look at the maps of where the water table is gonna move and change, we're right on the edge. Like we are not Phoenix, thank God. We are not Las Vegas, thank God. But how our city manages water. I mean, you've seen cities uh, in Las Vegas put in ordinances about you know lawns and those kinds of things. You saw Phoenix now is, I think it's banning or at least limiting new development because the city's water supplies can't tolerate it. I think looking beyond the immediate crisis of homelessness here in the city, the question for this mayor is, is also going to be, how do we start planning in a real serious way for a climate crisis that we know is upon us, that, that not that we could benefit from, but we could certainly fortify ourselves in a way that other cities can't? This connection with the, the climate and the water that you're making, David, yeah. that is really fascinating to me because I feel like water, especially the way you're framing it, it's so connected with our growth question. You know, it's, it's a limiting factor for growth. And if growth is slowing down, you know, that's got to be connected with housing prices and this density conversation we've been having all year. But the other aspect of growth is like that the Hancock years were defined by was innovation. Like we had this tech industry bubble up here and become really popular. A lot of jobs came here. A lot of young people with new ideas. Do you two think that that's going to continue in the next decade under Johnston? Are we going to see that same like fresh energy here? Because that was kind of cool. I I personally don't but I don't say that in a, in a sort of pessimistic way. I, I think we have an, until we deal with the affordability problem, then I think growth, like there, there's an economic barrier to growth in the sense of if your city becomes so unaffordable, people literally can't afford to live here. Uh, we have a city uh, where, what did I read the stat? It was that one in five teachers uh, can't afford, uh, don't make enough or don't, don't have enough to afford a, a house or even rent uh, in, in the metro area. Um, and, and, and we don't have things that make the city or could make the city more affordable or, or we haven't built them out as much. Example, we don't really have terrific public transit. <laughs> In Denver, no. to, to, to say, say the, the least. least. To say the least. Right. Okay. So if you think about public, what is like public transit? Okay, it's good for the environment. Get get you out of your car. Uh, you're not sitting in traffic. It makes the commute uh, less. But it also, in doing all of that, it when you have a good public transportation system, it brings down the cost of living. You don't necessarily have to have a car, right? Which is a huge expense. So multiply that over a number of different things that cities are involved in, and then ask yourself. Can we make this an affordable city? Because if we can't, that is going to limit growth on top of any other thing like water or the or the climate situation. Hmm. Bree, what do you think? It's fair. I have a very similar view. I really agree. It comes back to affordability. But what I think about is, sure, we we attracted the tech bros and the young folks that had a lot of expendable indica- income. But if no one's there to take their trash or <laughs> fix their plumbing or, you know, the, the blue collar folks, which Denver, I grew up in the city. It was a blue collar city in terms of affordability. 
you could afford to buy a house. My parents bought their house in their 20s, a nurse and a teacher. You can't do that anymore. So if we don't have those fundamental folks that make the city work, all of those luxury people that want to live here, they're not going to have anybody to do all the things. And what are we left with? I mean, this is in part why we moved here. I mean, my, my I met my wife, who's now a state legislator here. I met her in Washington, D.C., which is an insane, insanely expensive place to live. And we were looking across the country. We're living actually living up in Montana, where I met the cows. Uh, <laughs> and we wanted to move back to a city. Uh, and we were looking across the country. It was like, look, L.A. is way too expensive and insane. San Francisco is wildly unaffordable. Boston, wildly unaffordable. New York. I mean, New York, D.C., no, you know, the only two cities that really came up for things that we, we wanted in our lives and, and we could afford, Denver and Chicago. Those are the two that kind of kind of came up. And now, I mean, that was, what, 17 years ago or so. Now, like, no one would call Denver an affordable city. Like, that's, like, the, 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 the version of me then, if I was that age now, I, like, Denver wouldn't be on my list. That, yeah. I'm not sure what would be on my list, but I, I don't think Denver could be on my list. I'd want it to be, but I don't think it could. Yeah. I, I think affordability is huge, but I don't think it's the only thing. I don't think it's the only thing because I think the innovation, the tech, like that's a whole nother thing. That's like the defining, um, that's what's giving people excitement. You know, that's also luring people here. Like there's new ideas. Denver has this unique character. We have the Denver Nuggets who may be on the precipice of winning <laughs> right. a national championship. I, you know? No, look, we, we have the aspirational look, stuff too on the other side. Denver is is such a great destination if it can be affordable in that you're near the mountains, you know, you know You've got culture, you're in the American West, you're not, you know, I mean, like, there's so many, that's why 17 years ago, my wife and I were like, this place, this place rules, like, we, we gotta, we gotta go there. But there, it, but you could say the same thing about San Francisco, right near all beautiful stuff, and it's, you know, well situated, place. gorgeous place, but that that can't be on any working class person's list because it's it's insanely expensive like you, you just you just can't make the math work so I, I i certainly agree with you that that if the jobs are here and if the affordability is here it's it's a a plus destination but i think that affordability question is the biggest question of all and and for a mayor you got to be you got to be trying to think like what in my jurisdiction what can, can I do, I do mm -hmm. to make things more affordable? Well, I think that's a great note to end on. We will be back after a quick break with something else. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. All right, and we're back. Uh, so we're going to do a little segment here uh, with David and Bree. Uh, it's one of our favorites, new favorite, I guess, wins and fails of the week. So we've all prepared a, a local story that we think is a win and a local story we think is a fail. I think we should do fails first so we can end on the nice stuff. David, Bree, do either of you want to start? I, I can start with a fail. Now, uh, uh, full disclosure, this was my wife's piece of legislation <laughs> that I've been living with this legislation and with my wife, obviously, for the legislative session. Uh, big fail uh, was a piece of legislation on affordable housing uh, to give cities the right across Colorado to, if, if a developer comes in and wants to buy, let's say, an apartment building, it would give the city the right, what's called the right of first refusal, to make an offer, to match the offer, not undercut the offer, but like, you know, a developer comes in $50 million for this building, the city could say, no, we want to buy it for the same price to turn it into affordable housing. That bill passed the legislature. Uh, and then the corporate lobby went to work. Uh, Brownstein, the big lobbying firm the, the, in, here in Denver, uh, the uh, Colorado Concern, sort of all the corporate groups went to Jared Polis, asked Jared Polis to veto it. 
and he vetoed it in the middle of an affordable housing crisis. That is a fail. Now, you, you, I saw you talking about this on Twitter a little bit. You're, you're talking about the lobbying groups that were against this. Can you say a little bit more about who this was and like why you think they were against it? It's basically the real estate industry, and they have their hands in all the sort of business, the, the general business groups, the chambers of commerce, and, and the like. Um, I, I guess their argument was that this could slow down real estate transactions in theory, right? Like we, uh, some company comes in, makes a bid, we want to buy it. The city could say, wait a minute, you got to wait a week, two weeks, three weeks for us under this law to make a counteroffer. And they were arguing, I mean, they extrapolated that, in my view, nonsensical argument to this is going to tamp down the construction uh, and the, the development of multifamily housing. I think that's a lot of nonsense. I think that this was a minimal step. I'm not denigrating the legislation, but it was like the least you should do is allow a city to say, hey, if some big company is coming in to buy a building and the city has been waiting to try to find places to do more affordable housing, the city can make a, a, an offer so that it's fair to the, you're not screwing the, sell, the, the, the seller, right? You're saying, I'm going to pay the same price that you just got a bid for. That seems like the most minimal thing to do. And by the way, if the other, if the other company wants to come back and say we're going to offer more, you know, and the city can't meet that, fine. But give the cities a chance to develop affordable housing. It's the most mi sort of least you should do. And the governor nonetheless still vetoed it. And I think what it tells us is, is that in this state's politics, I don't think anybody who's in politics in the state knows this. When business says jump, the leadership of both parties say how high. That's how it works here. I, 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 I don't like, know you if know I what, agree David? with you on that. I, Paul and I were discussing this earlier, and Paul, did you? First of all, were you surprised that the governor vetoed it? No, not at all. I don't think this is about business interests. I think this is about how Governor Polis sees the housing market. I think he sees it as a market first, and at least I mean this. He made this such a big priority this year that we have to work with the market. We have to do this supply side thing to build more housing, work with developers, make it easier and easier to do it. I think he saw this legislation as an additional piece of regulation that's going to slow the market down. Except uh, without giving away too many internal details that I happen to know, the governor's office did not tell the legislators he would veto this. They were encouraging or at least accepting of this bill moving through the legislature with, by the way, their input. In other words, it wasn't just something they sprung on him. It was like, we want to do this. Okay, the governor's office says, well, we, we want you to put this in and that and do this. The lobbying didn't go to work until after it had passed, which tells you that the corporate lobbyists think that they have a governor who even after the governor's own party passes bills through the legislature, they think they have a governor who can be their kill switch. And that is that is a problem. And I think that's what it showed us with, with Jared Polis, is that he is willing to be uh, a, the corporate lobby's kill switch even when his own party, in consultation with him, is trying to do the right thing in the legislature. Well, I, I don't... The Democrats are so divided. I mean, yes, it's his party, but this is there, there are very different ideas on housing. And, and it's okay to disagree. I think they'll figure it out next year. There's going to be a lot of talking about this. That is what my wife says, by the way. I, I don't want to speak yeah. for her, but, but, you know, she was all down in the dumps when this thing got vetoed. And, you know, she was like, you know, I just got to keep reminding myself that, like, you know, we come back for another right. fight. Like, sometimes these things take a, take a while and, like, we're going to be back at it again. A lot of about the idea, getting the idea out there. Totally. Before people get on totally. board. Bree, how about you? What's your film? Oh, well, we already kind of brought it up in a joke, but RTD, RTD has failed us yet again. Uh, our friend Nate Miner oh. at Denverite had this great story. And by great, I mean just like devastatingly embarrassing for RTD story about um, this woman who was a regular bus rider. Um, she picked up the bus at first in Lincoln, uh, the Zero Bus, one of the most read or most road buses in the city. Um, it was trashed all the time. She kind of adopted it herself. She mm -hmm. started cleaning it up. She contacted RTD and was like, hey, I'm cleaning this bus stop. Can you clean it? Uh, and they were like, uh, actually, a private firm owns that bus stop. And it's called Outdoor Promotions. And it's their job to clean it up. And she was like, okay, well, can I adopt the spot? Like, I will officially adopt because they have those adopt a spot and you can clean it. And they said, no, because it's owned by a private company. Um huh. RTD just said, well, it appears that it's getting to be too much to maintain. After 
She goes to a, a couple weeks after, no, it's been a couple months after she's been emailing and cleaning it up. And she goes to her bus one day and the bus stop is gone. <laughs> the shelter's gone. The bench is oh, gone. That's not funny, but. <laughs> the whole thing is gone. That's sad. And she called RTD and they were like, actually, local government owns it. And she's like, okay. And then she was like, well, I tried to adopt it. And they were like, this advertising agency owns it. So um, I, what I liked about Nate's reporting is that he dug in and Outdoor Promotions pays Denver a paltry $58,000 in permitting fees every six months for 147 bus shelters and kiosks. They're advertising. I can't imagine what they make really? in advertising. The least they could do was Dang. clean it up, not remove it. And she kind of was saying in the story... I'm a trying to be a bus rider and you're making it impossible for me to be a bus rider. So we can do free fare for better air all we want. But if you can't shelter people, and we know this is the majority of bus stops aren't covered anyway. It's like when you try to do the right thing and they literally remove the bus stop. This is so embarrassing. RTD is so embarrassing. No wonder we're not a, we're not, we are not a competitive big city if we don't have a good not just robust public transit system, one that works. Totally. totally On a basic agree. Couldn't agree more. That strikes me as a big opportunity for another advertising company to come in and outbid them. <laughs> Let's get some more money in RTD's coffers here. You know? I That's guess. A, they're, they're getting a sweetheart deal. It's so, it reminds me of that story, the gentleman that just wrote the book on parking. The city of Chicago sold all their parking meters to yep. JP Morgan. Yep. For like a billion dollars yep. or something. Yep. And it ended up that JP Morgan makes three times that every year or something. Let me just say something. JP Morgan doesn't buy something unless it can make 10 times what it bought right. it for. And the city right. has to go to JP Morgan every time mm. they want to close the street down or have yep. a parade. They have to talk to a private company. Yep. And I just felt this was a little bit like that where I was like, oh, an outdoor advertising agency opens owns it. And that's the reason I can't get someone to pick up the trash at my bus stop. <laughs> It was mind-blowing. Oh, boy. <laughs> mind-blowing. Oh, boy. Paul, what was yours? Um, well, I'm going to kind of come into the, the nexus of your two. I got a little state politics and a little bit of the pandemonium on our streets. Um, so uh, remember the towing bill of rights the state oh, legislature yeah. passed last year? This was this big bill that promised to like crack down on predatory towing, which has been such a big problem. I mean, and there was so much stuff in this bill. It was like towing companies have to give 24 hours notice for a tow. It banned tows with expired tags. Uh, it required tow companies to return your vehicle if you pay a 15% of the total fees up front. And that is the key uh, uh, the key measure of this bill because according to the Denver Post this week, towing companies have been flouting the towing bill of rights. They just don't. Wyatt's Towing in particular has figured out a loophole. Uh, what they're doing is they're requiring uh, people to uh, take out a loan with the company <gasps> to get their cars. So they're, it's not about this 15% total fees. They're ignoring that by calling it a loan. Oh, no. That's really, <gasps> really evil. Isn't that just like... That's <laughs> super creepy. As if Wyatt's Towing was just not synonymous with evil already. Yeah, and now they've become their own bank it's like one of the most hated companies <gasps> in the city i think god that um, is really i i mean i almost i i don't admire it but i i marvel at how like imagine sitting down and thinking through that I just and see coming up with that a like, smoke-filled yes. room of guys totally. with cigars just being like hey you know what right. we're gonna do next like, like become a bank like whiteboarding it you know yes <laughs> oh my gosh uh, the silver lining of course is that the lawmakers who passed the bill last year they're aware of this now and okay. they've sent a letter to the public utilities commission cool they're talking about this the lawyers are working on it you know we'll see that's we'll see. that's beautiful <laughs> that is a little bit of a silver lining because that's government in action yes right? yeah yes yeah. Accountability. I like um all right let's do some wins let's do some fun stuff david you want to start us off well i mean i could talk about the nuggets uh <laughs> I, I mean i would actually because it's friday uh I, I i if we were recording this earlier if we were recording this on um wednesday day mm -hmm. i would not have said that was a win because i was very nervous it was one yeah. one and we just lost but obviously the nuggets fingers crossed Finals, please let that happen, please, please. <laughs> the other win I just want to throw out there is um, that the Paid Family Leave Act hmm. that, that we passed uh, as a state, 
uh, is continuing to be implemented. I continue as the, you know, running the lever, for instance, getting updates about how it is being implemented. And I'm sure business owners who are listening to this are getting those updates as well. And I think the win here is, is that one, um, we were told by the business community that doing this, the sky would fall, you know, Colorado would, you know, fall into some, you know, horrible disrepair. And actually the sky has not fallen. Uh, the paid family leave uh, uh, situation is now being implemented quite smoothly. Uh, and, and by the way, it's, it's the, the, law, the law has worked to a point where payroll companies, for instance, are able to work with the law itself to make it not such a paperwork burden for small businesses. Uh, and I think that was good. So point is, is that we're, we've actually done something. It's not perfect. It's not, it's not the best it could possibly be, but it's something serious to provide lots and lots of employees and small businesses that want to provide this to their employees a paid family leave system. And we did that at the ballot box. So we should That's all feel kind of, kind of proud of that. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. That's a great win. That's a great win. I, it's life-changing as a person that was pregnant and was yes. able to take time off to be with my newborn. It was incredible. Yes. So I'm glad more people have that opportunity. Paul, what's yours? Okay, I have a I have a controversial win oh, this Lord. week. This is a win I don't All think right. many other people are going to see as a win because the headlines this week were Denver area's last drive-in movie theater to close. I saw that. Which, you know, 10 years ago when the city of Commerce City uh, was talking about traffic problems around the 88 drive-in, they were saying, oh, safety issues, 20,000 people rallied to help save this thing. So a few years later, this is my win. Why? The owner, Susan Kochevar, Kochevar, mm -hmm. she says the drive-in doesn't work there anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's not a good drive-in experience. And I read some reviews of this place for the last few years. It sounds awful. Like she talked about uh, light pollution from the surrounding warehouses because of growth in the area, sure. which would totally ruin a drive-in movie experience. I don't really want to see a drive-in when there's a bunch of light and noise around me. And it sounds like she wasn't making a lot of money and the situation was just kind of getting deteriorated. And anyway, the win is... This state has many drive-in movie theaters that are protected with historic designations. The one I love is in Fort Collins, the, the Holiday Twin. But there's this new one I was reading about down in the San Luis Valley, which is very dark. Perfect for drive-ins. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. They just did this huge renovation. They spent a ton of money. They've got new overnight lodging, 10 modern yurts, four relatively luxurious steel master sheds. So you can spend a couple of nights. You can see some drive-in movies in this internationally recognized dark sky site. I'm Sounds going. Sounds like a beautiful drive-in experience, and we still have it here in this state. That's my win. Can I also recommend Movie Manor in Monta Vista? It's a it's a hotel that has set up like a drive-in so you can lay in your oh. bed and there's a giant window and you can watch the movie that way. Incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, it rules. I love it. I love it. So, you're right. I like that. I mean, I feel you. I it Sometimes things have to close because they don't function anymore. You guys are giving me ideas. Exactly. My kids are about to go away to camp and we've got like two or three weeks of just me and my wife. Oh, these do are a like, little these are around, like good the, ideas. around the state travel. Yeah, Monta totally. Vista, San mm -hmm. Luis Valley, gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous. I love it down there. Um, Brie, what's your win? Well, you know, some listeners' favorite topic, others not. Mine, for sure. New York <laughs> Times, a little a little newspaper called the New York Times wrote this amazing piece on Casa Bonita. Saw and that. I, I say amazing because um, it gave us information that I think we overlook as people that are obsessed with it, like me. I learned stuff from the New York Times article that I didn't know, and I thought I knew everything about Casa Bonita. Um, for one, the food was steamed. That may be why it was yeah, so no, gross. No ovens. <laughs> no ovens. There. there no there were no ovens, no range tops, said Matt Stone. All steamers. They steamed everything. Oh my God, revelation. No wonder my enchiladas were disgusting. Um, they spent forty million dollars to renovate this place. You guys, if people are like, they're gonna ruin it, no. They care so much. I think they joked that they could have tore it, they could have started from scratch and built an exact replica for cheaper. And instead, <laughs> such a good detail. they went deep on this Mexican restaurant in a strip mall that used to be a Jocelyn's department store and tore it down to the studs and recreated it. They said they took it took 27 tries to find the right paint color for the trees. 
<laughs> 20, so who's going to put that much time into it, right? And then also they said there are four deciduous trees. Wait, no, no, not for the trees, for the, the pink, the outside. The, the pink, oh, sorry, pink. that was for the pink. They were yeah. they were matching the tree color, but the, the pink, you're right. The yeah. pink was the 27 tries. Um, but there were there are four deciduous trees and 62 palm trees in there. If someone can tell me where the deciduous trees are, I can't picture it. And since I have not been able to get back in there, I need to know. Um, so these were just some things that I picked up from it. However, I do want to make a, a two notes of minor errors. Um, technically, it is Black Bart's hideout. The New York Times calls it Black Bart's cave, which we know it as colloquially as Black Bart's we cave. We always have. For many years, everyone says Black Bart's cave. Technically. Accuracy's sake, it is Black Bart's hideout. I texted resident Colorado Casabonita expert Andrew Novick, and he not only um, confirmed that it is the hideout, he sent me two pictures from two different eras of Casa Bonita confirming that it is the hideout. So... The New York Times. A little fact check, New York Times. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the other thing was they said people call it Casa Noida, and never in my entire life have I ever heard anyone say that. So, and I, this is coming, I knew. That felt fake. It, that yeah, felt I felt like up. someone told him that, and he was like, oh, yeah, this is great story. This yeah, is great right. copy. And I would just say, um, as a person who knew dudes who had an annual party at Casa Bonita and would go eat all you can eat enchiladas, and the person that lost was the person who puked first. So they didn't call it Casa Noida. No one was calling it Casa Noida. So at any rate, I just want to say sometimes when we get those parachuting in reporters, they do a terrible job. The New York Times knocked it out of the park. If you haven't read this story, we'll link it. The photos are incredible. It's a really fun piece. David, what did you think about this story? I, I liked it a lot. I can't wait to, to go back. Although I'm worried that what the wait list is going to be like a million people. A hundred thousand people have signed people, up. hundred thousand Right. And my my, my act, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be curious. Are they going to keep the prices they roughly talk, the same? They kind of talked about that. That's what they were concerned with. From what I'm gathering, there might be tiered pricing or a basic level and then the ability to buy more things because they have ticketing areas that they've set up. Um, but I, yes, I'm also curious about that. They're cognizant of it. Good. Yeah, they're still working on the pricing. That's yeah. interesting. That's kind of an important detail. Yeah, because I mean, they mentioned like the James Beard Chef Award, right? You know, like it's like Dana Rodriguez. Yeah, like it's going to be. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a an incredibly upgraded experience. Like I feel like it's going to be. In my mind, I have like it's going to be like Casa Bonita, but Meow Wolf, right? Like that level of like awesomeness. Mm -hmm. But I, I, uh, Meow Wolf is not cheap, right? right. Like, like I, I. One of the cool things about Costa Bonita was it was more. It was that like anybody, not any, but you know, it's, it's, it's an expense, bucks. but it's under twenty five bucks. Like it's, it's relatively affordable for families, and I just hope I hope they keep that. Oh, one note you mentioned, Meow of uh, Costa Bonita is full on trolling Meow of. They have put up a billboard really right next to. Meow Wolf it says like now, you know, like come see cliff divers or whatever. <laughs> I was dying. I was driving through Sun Valley the other day, which also I saw a white man jogging and I was like, did not see this on my Colorado 2.0 bingo card of white man jogging through Sun Valley shirtless. But then I looked up and I was like, and I looked over and it was like, you could see it from Meow Wolf. They are... This is a That's battle. Be I am deliberate. excited for this. That's got to be deliberate. Meow Wolf versus Casa Bonita. Hundred percent. I can't oh, yeah. wait. That yeah. may, uh, how about that for the the Johnson era's narrative? Give us that. Give us that battle <laughs> for the next ten years. Duke which, it out. Which side is Mike Johnston on? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we'll All ask right. him. We'll talk to him again. I'm sure we'll ask him. But anyway, we've got one more segment for you before we wrap up today's show, uh, and we're going to get there after another quick break. What's up, weather fam? Rain or shine, I'm Andy Stein here with your CityCast Denver weather forecast for this weekend. Hey, if you could believe it, well, one, fun thing, I'm getting married this weekend in Denver, and two, it looks like it's going to be a rainy weekend in Denver. And I, of course, have an outdoor ceremony and reception, but hey, I am uh, working my magic and hoping to have a good day. I hope everybody else has great Saturdays and Sundays this weekend. It looks like there's going to be a cold front rolling through Denver around uh, midday on Saturday, and that's going to start to drop our temperatures bring in some cloud cover spawn off a few storms and then sunday it's looking like one of those kind of more cloudy dreary upslope days with cool high temperatures only in the mid 60s uh, to upper 60s at best but then we start to clear out a little bit and warm up as we head into next week so just another spurt of rain for us a uh, fun little fact for everybody we have seen over eight inches of rain since may 1st and the average amount of rain that denver sees an entire year is 14 and a half inches so that is quite a lot, y'all. Have fun. 
All right, and we're back. It's time for the official CityCast Denver maybe for your weekend, as in maybe you'll see us there, because as usual, there's so many cool things happening in Denver this weekend, but there's only one where you might see us. Peyton Garcia rounds up her best bets in our newsletter, Hey Denver, every week, and she's here to give us her top picks. Peyton, welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey. All right, let's get into it. Yeah. Um. All right, first thing, Lighthouse Writers Workshop is opening their brand new space. Um, not only are they going to have a big ribbon cutting ceremony that is going to include refreshments and tours of the space and a pop-up bookstore from the bookies, but it's also nice. going to kick off their annual Lit Fest, which is for nerds across Colorado <laughs> like who yourself. love to read and write. Yes, Lit like Fest me. rules. Lit Fest is so fun. Says like, fellow people nerd. People who care about like reading and writing, talking about, you know, smart stuff. I dig it's it. so good. Yeah, I I workshops, seminars. It's I, cool. It's been, exciting for them to have a brand new building too. Mm-hmm. A lot of great writers have come out of the Lighter House mm-hmm. uh, Writers Workshop. Yeah, it's so. a great organization too. So something fun to support. Okay. David, how do you feel about Lit Fest? Uh, I, I listened. The 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 lighthouse is is great. I got to meet. I, got, I think I got to know. Oh, I did. In part, I got to know my managing editor, Joel Warner. Uh, oh, who Joel works, Warner. Yeah, Joel Warner is the Lever's managing editor. Editor worked at, at Westford. He's done stuff with Lighthouse. I got to know Steve Almond, the great uh, oh, the great author, Steve the Almond, best. through through the he is the best uh, through Lighthouse and anything to support them. I mean, it's one of the. I feel like if you know it, if you know them, you know them. Wow, you're really selling that. Yeah, you sold that, you cool sold that like more Joel than I did. And Steve and uh, yeah, that's gonna be tough. Tough to beat. Tough to beat. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's Friday evening. Saturday afternoon, um, Lakewood is hosting the Summer Farm Fest, which is put on through Sprout City Farms, and it's just like it's a typical festival, you know, with local food trucks, drinks, art projects, live music, things like that. But you can also take tours of Sprout City Farms. So they're an organization that. Um, starts farms they, they they're dedicated to building urban farms and building a hyper local food ecosystem um, around the city and I think that's a great organization to support I like, it I like t- the tour do. of it too is a good way to get to know what an urban farm really looks like mm-hmm. and it, yeah it, it, learning because it feels kind of like how could you do it but once you see it in practice like we have one in Westwood it makes so much sense once you yeah. see it yeah that's cool. So that's over in Lakewood. Um, I just I I picked them because I think that's a great organization. Hmm. I like kids it. love farm stuff too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I remember taking my kids up, up to uh, uh, to do the like the you pick them. Oh yeah, uh, up over up in Longmont, and it kind of blew my kids' mind. They were like, "We're picking tomatoes off of." It's like, yeah, they actually th- they that's how that's somewhere. how a tomato does not come from the grocery grocery store. It comes from that. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. Uh, Peyton, I got it. Big question for you here. Do they got cows at this farm? <laughs> I actually don't think. I think I it's more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more produce driven than. Uh... Okay. Okay. So you'll be safe. Yes. Uh, at this yes. Event. No Good. attacking Good. cows. What else? What else we got, Peyton? Okay, this one is my favorite. Mm. Uh, the Taylor Party <laughs> at Elitch Gardens, where you go yes. and you pay too much money to listen to Taylor Swift all night long. And Taylor dance. Swift party at Elitch Gardens? Like not yes. to see her. Just no. To, like, no, it's just to hang out with other it's Taylor It's just Swift a dance fans. party. I mean, please don't tell my nine-year-old daughter <laughs> that because she will demand that I go. Because like we've got the, you know, like the Google, the Google thing. It's always like, hey, Google, put on Taylor Swift. That's what my first thing in the morning. Like <laughs> if I told my kid Taylor Swift plus Elitch Gardens. Like, yeah. that's it. I'm done. Like, I, I will have no choice. We'll Hi, am I your nine year old daughter? Because yeah. that's exactly <laughs> me. I'm like, roller coasters, Taylor Swift party, right. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. So cute. Don't know if I'll cute. get any of you guys, or at least you two, on board with that I, one. But I hey. I like Taylor Swift. I'm a fan. <laughs> Zoe Sirota might be fan. there. Zoe Sirota oh. might be there. All right. What's number four? What's and number four, the Peyton? last thing is the Denver Chalk Art Festival happening oh, in so the Golden cool. Triangle area. It's a really awesome thing. Uh, we can't even talk about it. Rain is on the forecast. Ah, I've been oh, to this event no. when it rained. It just, it's nothing. Does it just break it's your just heart? It's just nothing. Yeah, that's oh, actually sorry. really sad. It's not going to happen. No, that's not happening. <laughs> hey, can I downer, sub it? Can I sub it for something else? Yeah, yes. let's sub it in for something um, else. This is also, well, no. Okay. Five Points Jazz. Also oh. happening Staple. this weekend. Oh, okay. Really cool. Yeah. Staple yeah, Denver. All along Welton Street. Pop into all these different places. What try day is the that? different That's Sunday? That is happening Saturday. Saturday. I love that. Any reason to get into Five Points and like, but be in the street when everybody's around. Yeah. It's just like you That's feel the, way to do five the energy of 
that why that neighborhood is so amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I think five the Jazz Fest just like epitomizes it. Totally. All right. So we got Lit Fest at the new Lighthouse Writers Workshop. We got the urban farm situation. We got <laughs> the Taylor Swift uh, event at Elitch Gardens. Uh, and uh, not Denver Chalk Art. Oh, you can go if you want. And uh, Five Points Jazz. Five Points Jazz. Five Points Jazz. What are we thinking? How, what are we leaning here? Oh. I- I'm feeling the jazz. I feel like you get the you get the food and the music yeah. and the neighborhood. Like yeah, th- that's the, the total package. Jazz is cool. Although although Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift on a roller coaster is, 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 is <laughs> also good seeing a ton of little girls go crazy is just the cutest thing. Hey, I love seeing one thirty year old go crazy. <laughs> at least one thirty year old. <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of elementary and middle schoolers and uh, Peyton will be there. Yeah. Do you know what we learned in our house about Taylor Swift? What fun Taylor Swift uh, thing? Uh, apparently, there was some controversy with a an, uh, some lyric that referred to an Eagles T-shirt. Do you know about okay. this? No. And a lot for a while, they thought it was she was referring to the Eagles, the band. Mm-hmm. And she came out and clarified it recently and said it's actually the Philadelphia Eagles because she grew up in the Philadelphia area, what? <laughs> which is where I, I grew up. And our family found out that she apparently vacationed at the Jersey Shore, which we have vacationed at every year uh, since I was Maybe uh, you could have seen her. Years. I know. I, I actually started thinking like, I wonder if I saw her on like on the beach. Or, uh, she would have been a, younger than me, a kid. Like, <laughs> but I wouldn't have known. Like, I, I wouldn't have known it was Taylor Just Swift. Like, can person. I can I get in like a time machine and go back and be like, yo, you're Taylor <laughs> can Swift. Can I have your autograph right now <laughs> for, for, for my, my daughter. daughter? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I might vote for that one too, just because I love supporting young music fans. Wow. I, I'm kind of well, getting hey. excited about it too. I'm I know. On the I know. Bandwagon. I, I want to be on the Taylor into Swift it. bandwagon. Let's do it. Well, let's do it, guys. Taylor Swift party, Elitch Gardens. Very That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, there you have it. The official CityCast Denver maybe for your weekend. But there's way more where that came from. Peyton's got plenty more recommendations in our newsletter, Hey Denver, which you can subscribe to right now by texting Denver to 66866. Peyton, Bree, David, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right, this is Paul. I'm dropping in. This is three minutes after you just heard us <laughs> because we got some important information news. about the Taylor Swift event at Elitch Gardens. It's 18 and up, so I have changed my vote because young people can't go to that, and I want to support young people in music, so I am going to say uh, I vote for the Five Points Jazz Fest. Five Points Jazz? Yeah. Five Points Jazz. Live music, okay. yeah. like you said, great yeah. food, amazing neighborhood, all ages, hang out all day. Five Points Jazz Fest. Yeah, I'm into that. Sorry, Taylor. There you have it. that's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, and Olivia Jewell-Love. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Twitter or Instagram, at CityCast Denver, and tell, tell the organizers of the Chalk Fest that we're sorry. They can't control the weather. It's okay. Next year will be better. You can sign up for that daily newsletter I mentioned, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866 and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week. I think it's so funny that when he scores at the game, they they the graphic is a Canadian flag. <laughs> it's so funny. You can get Nuggets shirts with the Canadian flag out of the Nuggets store yeah. at Ball Arena. Oh, I almost that, bought one for Paul. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it, as a Canadian, that was that was kind of my. Oh, I didn't know you were Canadian. Oh, yeah. Dual citizen. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice for me. <laughs> um, <clears throat>